If you could go back in time before the sprawling skyscrapers of today's New York City, you'd find a different city full of horse-drawn carriages and men in hats and dark suits. In other cases, you'd see that some parts of the city haven't changed much at all. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. An architectural photographer recreated scenes from turn-of-the-century photos by climbing, flying, and leaning over precarious structures to capture images from the same spot as his earlier counterparts. He presents the old and new photos side-by-side in a book called New York Then and Now. Evan Joseph, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me today. How long have you been photographing New York City now? I've been uh, photographing in New York City for over a decade, um, and uh, and I love it. it. It started with New York. It's still New York. Uh, it, it's the one and only subject matter for me. Why is that? I think because it's, it's always changing. It's always interesting, and uh, I'm fascinated by the built environment. I'm fascinated by... Uh, by buildings and and although I do a lot of work for architects and enjoy working on new projects there there's something about um, something about older buildings that have the quality of having been here they are part of the landscape to me they they seem like uh, as much a part of New York as the rocks and the trees and um, I, I enjoy that that sense that they are found that they are as they are are you native to New York I'm not. I'm originally from Baltimore. I came to the New York area uh, to go to Vassar College and uh, went to graduate school at NYU. So I've been here for almost all of my adult life. Now, this is the third edition of New York Then and Now. It was first published in 2000. How did this project come about? This project came about uh, because I had done a book called New York City at Night for the same publisher, Thunder Bay Press. And uh, the book the book worked very well. Um, and uh, the relationship with the publisher and with the editor and with the, um, the writer uh, was a wonderful relationship. They, uh, New York Then and Now was an important book for them, and they, uh, they need to keep it fresh. They had never done an edition of New York Then and Now where it was all the work of one photographer. Previously, it had been done with a mix of stock photography and a mix of uh, sort of amateur uh, photography that had been done bit by bit. And a- as such, the earlier editions didn't really have a sense that uh, the then and now contrasts were very equivalent. Um, they had a picture of Union Square and then you know another picture of Union Square. And the then and now, they were both Union Square, but they weren't. There was no real photographic vision involved in putting together these these pairs. So um, when they asked me to do it um, and to take over the entire project, I thought that was a a nice opportunity to see a long-form project all the way through and to really dive into the old photos and and take it from there. So you went out and you tried to take the exact same photo right in the location. Exactly. I think that's that's what we bring to this new edition is that there is a, a real obsession on my part with trying to find exactly where that old photo was shot from to be in that exact position, to find not only just the same position, but the same time of day so that I get the same kind of light. And uh, and I would do whatever is necessary to get wherever I had to be. What does that include, whatever is necessary? <laughs> uh, that means calling in a lot of favors. Um, for uh, over 10 years, I've been an architectural photographer here in New York. And um, and over that time, I've, I've really met a lot of the building managers, building owners, developers, 
real estate agencies, people that, that can get me into some of these buildings after I would determine that there was a specific building that I really needed to get into. So um, that helped a lot. Uh, being able to get access to various rooftops, um, being able to get access um, to various balconies, uh, different buildings. And of course, it was very frustrating when I would really dive in and the editor and the writer and I would figure out, you know, for example, we really need to be on 38th Street between 2nd and 3rd Avenue. And this old photo was clearly taken on that block from about five stories up. But on that block today, there are no five-story buildings. So in order to be in that position, uh, the only thing that would work was a helicopter. So um, trying to then go up in the helicopter with my iPad that had the old photo on it and then dance around and wiggle, and that's right by the UN, so that particular area is a hard place to hover. So, uh, But finally, we, we found our spot, we got the shot, and it lines up very nicely with that old shot. How hard is it to keep up with ever-changing New York City? Thankfully for me and hopefully for the next editions of this book, almost impossible. This edition, you know, I'm sure will be, uh, you know, heroically out of date in no time at all. Um, and, uh, and that's what's fun about it. The terrorist attack on the World Trade Center in 2001 dramatically changed the city's skyline. Has it been interesting for you to document the changing skyline in lower Manhattan over the last 11 plus years? It's been fascinating. Um, I had a, a technology company at the time and um, that, that actually led me into photography. And our office building was destroyed in that attack. So we were very close to that event. And uh, it was something that affected affected me very, very personally. So to to see that area suddenly become a crater um and uh and then then to watch it over time it was actually it's been very frustrating to be honest with you um because it seemed like nothing was happening and nothing was happening and nothing was happening and um having done so many flights over that area to do photography for other buildings and for photography for my earlier book um it's just ugly um it's just a big ugly scar and it's such a painful reminder of what happened so to see the new World Trade Center rising suddenly, uh, finally, after after all this time, and it's really only the past two or three years that anything is growing there, um, is a real relief. Um, although I, I have to tell you that the fact that it's almost there and yet incomplete is a real problem for my photography. So, so many of my clients who need photos of the downtown area have recently been saying, it's so close, Evan. Can you just find a rendering of the top of the building and mm. just finish it off for us? Because it just looks not done yet. And so I've been doing a lot of, a lot of Photoshop work to try to finish off that building for the skyline. And I, it's going to look amazing. So I'm looking forward to when, that, when, that, uh, when I no longer have to add the, the crown of the building in post. When did the Lower Manhattan skyline as we know it, this massive clump of skyscrapers, actually start to take shape down there? It, uh, from what I can tell, it looks like it started to happen um, in the 20s. Um, and a lot of those buildings uh, date from that period. It's, in fact, it's amazing when, you, when, when I went down there looking to find the same angles and the same positions that so many of those buildings were, were there and, and let me line up the shots that I need to. Uh, many of the buildings are now gone. So that's, there's one shot in the book of the old Singer building, which is adjacent to what is now Zuccotti Park, which has been famous for the 
um, for the Occupy movement. And the uh, the Singer building was a marvel of, of architectural design in the 20s and 30s, and, and people just, you know, just went crazy for it. It's a beautiful old building that you can see in the book, and, and a tall one, really a skyscraper of its time. And it was uh, it was leveled to make way for uh, another building that stands there today that's a gi- just a gigantic, ugly, black behemoth, uh, the kind of thing that no one builds anymore, that just goes right to the edge of the sidewalk and straight up 60 stories. So that's, uh, that's an interesting documentation of change there. What would you say has been the city's biggest architectural loss? Oh, by has to be Penn Station. Penn Station is just, what a heartbreak. There are so many wonderful old photos of Penn Station, and you can't, you can't get near a project like this without running into all these photos. And I mean, the book includes a photo of Penn Station as it was and Madison Square Garden as it is now. And um, just to go back and try to recreate that camera angle and realize that something, that, that's a real, that's a real crime. And I, I understand that the destruction of Penn Station, of the old Penn Station, was the impetus for creating the Landmarks Preservation Committee. So um, I'm clearly not alone in New York realizing that there are some things that just shouldn't go down. You also have images in this book of New York's City Hall that date back to the early 1900s, another place that has stood the test of time but almost didn't. They did want to knock City Hall down at one point in time, I understand. Wow. Um, I, I'm, not, I'm not aware of that. That would have been a, a terrible crime, and the, uh, I'm glad they did because, in fact, even City Hall Park, which has experienced something of a renaissance even in the past 10 years as well, they've cleaned it up and they've made it more accessible to pedestrians and now the gas lamps are always lit instead of occasionally lit. It is a beautiful historical area sitting right there, um, along with the, the Tweed Courthouse, which is behind it, and the Family Court. And then moving a little bit north, you see what uh, people colloquially call the, um, the law and order steps on the Supreme Court building. That's a, that's a magnificent, preserved area of old New York. There is a great photo in your book of Broad Street in 1916 showing so-called curb brokers. I love that photo because it really brings you back to a time in New York City, a time when they actually traded stocks on the street. Right. Yeah, it, it, that that old photo was a lot of fun to try to recreate um, uh, in scouting the area in order to create that photo. And I, in my opinion, it is one of the more successful now and then pairs in the book. Um, I realized quickly that a lot of those buildings are still there. So although everything about the scene has changed, the uh, structure of the scene is 80% the same. So then I realized, you know, that I had an opportunity to really make an overlay now and then pair. It's a very rare thing to be able to pull off with a project like this. So uh, then it was a matter of uh, me with my gigantic bag of equipment uh, and my iPad stuck between my knees so I could keep checking back and forth, going, moving a few feet, moving my equipment, checking the iPad, moving a few feet. And I realized that the old photographer had uh, had been quite a daredevil and had climbed up on uh, Federal Hall steps um, where George Washington was sworn in and moved himself all the way to the edge. And so I moved all the way to the edge. And they let you climb on these steps, which is amazing because uh, it's not really a secure environment. It's not a safe environment. But I moved all the way to the edge, and then I set up the shot, and then I realized, wait, it's not just the edge of the steps. I have to climb up on that 
plinth that has some sort of statue there. So I climbed up on the plinth with all my stuff and my iPad, and then I realized, wait, I'm still not there yet. I have to climb all the way to the edge of this thing and lean over. So there, there I am with my gigantic camera bag because I had no idea what lens I would eventually have to use to match that field of view and the iPad and my camera and the tripod. And I'm sneaking out little by little by little to get right on the edge and everybody's staring at me. Um, and, uh, but eventually I lined up the camera, I took the shot, and it, it really works. You also have this great recreation in the book of a scene featuring a flower vendor in Union Square. Almost an exact match there, despite the difference in clothing because of the change in periods. Right. Um, Union Square is a marvel. Uh, it, it's remarkable to me that so little has changed there. Um, there are a lot of buildings that, um, that survive from... Um, from the turn of the century, there even although even the old buildings in Union Square, if you go there today and you look around and think which one of these buildings are old, they're not as old as some of the old photos of Union Square. So some, I think the the old photo that you're referring to is probably from the turn of the century, and there's really only one building that I could use to line up that shot, and then I realized that. Um, that building was the Barnes and Noble on Union Square North. So um, the Barnes and Noble has changed as well, but enough of the old building survives and that I could use it as a, as a pin to make sure that I was getting exactly in the right place. And then suddenly I realized that in the foreground is still a flower market. And amazingly enough, there was a guy selling flowers in this same spot. So it was really a matter of uh, some coincidence, I suppose. And when I realized how close I was to a guy selling flowers in Union Square in the flower market in the same spot, I got excited again, and uh, and I approached the the flower seller with my iPad again in tow, and I said, "I've got this old photo, and it look how close this is. This is amazing, and I'm doing a book. And would you please kneel down and hand the customer the flowers in exactly the same way as the uh, as the old photo?" And he said, "All right, buddy, but only if it takes a minute." And uh, I said, absolutely, be done in a minute. So he uh, he was kind enough to get into position. The customer um, was also nice enough to be in the exact same spot. And uh, I retreated to the camera position, got the shot, and it's a really nice contrast between then and now. But uh, thank you. That was a lot of fun to recreate that scene in that spot and to realize that that's 100 years of continuity. This is Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm George Borarki. Architectural photographer Evan Joseph joins us this morning to talk about documenting the changing face of New York's cityscape in a book called New York Then and Now, now in its third edition. We've come a long way from the horse-drawn carriage. How have changes in the way New Yorkers get around modified the city's streetscape? Well, the most obvious one there is not quite, I guess, the time of the horse-drawn carriage, but the um, the city at one time had elevated railways, and uh, I guess that's pre-subway. And the elevated railway platforms were an ideal position to take photos of buildings. They're a- above the crowd, but they're not so high that they're rooftop views. And from an architectural photographer's perspective, this is just a, like a, a heaven-sent blessing. 
uh, to have this perspective to be able to shoot buildings. And uh, a lot of these old photos were clearly shot from those locations, but they don't exist anymore. You can't be in the middle of the street 20 feet up in the air. Um, it, they won't give you a permit to put a ladder there, and you can't close down traffic. So um, I was confronted with a bit of a quandary in some of these cases, and I really, you know, the difference between shooting from the sidewalk and shooting from 15 feet up in the air is a, is a significant perspective change. So um, I came up with a solution to rig my camera on the end of a long pole and then have a remote trigger that came all the way down the pole along with a tiny little um, view screen that would let me see what the camera sees all the way up there. And then I'm balancing the camera like a circus performer. Um, and when I felt like it lined up and or I could tell, I would, I would hit the remote release and try to get it like that. So that's if you've walked around and seen a guy standing in the middle of the street with a camera on a pole over his head, that was me. I think one of my favorite photos in the book that features the elevated subway track is the one that also features the Bowery Savings Bank, mm. because that not only has the elevated subway, it also shows all of these horse-drawn carriages on the street. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, the Bowery Savings Bank, it's, um, it's a magnificent piece of architecture, and it is absolutely dwarfed by whatever's going on in the Bowery now. It's not necessarily dwarfed by the size of the architecture around it. It's just that that particular part of the city at the moment is just not fancy. Um, in fact, it's the opposite of fancy. It's really kind of a, well, it's the Bowery. Um, and it's the part of the Bowery that's still the Bowery. Um, it's um, it's full of uh, street vendors and uh, traffic, and it's just not very pretty. So it's the kind of place that no one would pay any attention to architecturally, Although at one time clearly it was uh, it was a major uh, it was a major area full of uh, full of, of money and and people who um, who were building beautiful buildings um, the inside of the Bowery Savings Bank now it still says Bowery Savings Bank on the outside but it's some kind of banquet hall and uh, they were preparing for a banquet when I was there taking the outside shot and I thought well with all these people coming and going there's a chance that I could slip in uh, so I set the camera I knew I couldn't come in with my heavy equipment. So I just quickly set my camera to a, the highest light sensitivity and, uh, and figured, all right, I'll try to be real sneaky. So I snuck in and it's a, interesting because it's so different now because it's a banquet hall. It has lots of, of lighting structures and, all, and there are people walking around setting up tables. But a lot of the architecture was, was obvious, so I was able to, to do that. And uh, just as I got exactly the shot I needed, the security guards came running out from no, the side. No. Hey, buddy, you can't be in. What are you doing in here? Who are you with? Oh, I'm just, uh, I'm, uh, you know, just wandering. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my way out. Yeah, I'm on my way out. So but you got your shot. I got my shot. It's in the book, and uh, I'm sure the security guards would be happy to see it if I brought it by. The 1930 shot of the East Midtown skyline shows a very, very different city than the one we know today. In fact, except for the Chrysler building, it's almost unrecognizable. Um, that's the shot I was talking about earlier from the helicopter. Um, and uh, it's really, that was fun to do. And in fact, the helicopter pilot, I remember, who's normally, who I've been working with for a long time um, and uh, for all of our shoots, um, he said, you know, Evan, this is a terrible shot. You can't see a thing. And I said, that's the point, man. That's the whole point. I need to be in this location and show that previously it was a straight shot to the Chrysler building, and now you can barely see the Chrysler building. So, you know, that's uh, that was the whole 
adventure hovering near the UN and try and, and not only are you near the UN which is a high security area and they really don't want a helicopter flying around there but it's also on the river so there's a a bit of a change you know there's a bit of an issue with LaGuardia Airport where the air, airplanes are flying right over there to land um it was a very tense couple of minutes but I'm glad that you enjoyed that picture and that it turns I guess that was worth that was worth the effort the view of Rockefeller Center in 1935 was also drastically different than it is today, in particular that main building right there smack in the middle of Rockefeller Center. That, again, another shot that had to be done from a helicopter today. Um, I suppose when that was originally done, looking straight at Rockefeller Center, which I guess now the GE building, somebody somewhere was able to stand directly opposite and take a picture. Well, there's just absolutely no way to stand directly opposite the Rock of Rockefeller Center and take that picture. It's it's just not even... I, 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 even I couldn't guess what building I could possibly be in, and I think that it's basically obscured by Sachs. Um, so um, that was another case of um, having to find um, a way to shoot that by helicopter. And in that case, the only way I could do it was with a very small helicopter, that I, I normally use when I have to do something very aerobatic, like fly very low over Midtown. Um, it's a small, light thing. It's a little scary. It uh, looks a lot like a lawnmower with a plastic bubble over it. Uh, it's a two-seater, and that's really given it a lot. So it's me and the helicopter pilot thigh by thigh. Um, and um, he's a bit of a daredevil, which I appreciate sometimes. And we managed to uh, to get in exactly the right position, and and uh, essentially we're like in a ghost building. We're we're in the ghost of the building that the other photographer was standing in that no longer exists. Um, in order to get these two pictures to line up, based on the photos in your book, it appears that time has stood still in at least a few places of New York City. One is Ellis Island, the other Liberty Island, where the Statue of Liberty is, of course, situated. Also, Washington Square Park, that looks almost the same as it did many, many years ago, with the exception of the vehicular traffic that's now in the area. Um, it's wonderful when I encounter areas like that where you uh, you can see that that these things have been untouched. Although Liberty Island and Ellis Island are still are both undergoing extensive renovations. Um, and this is before Sandy came and I think made more renovations necessary. So the Statue of Liberty is a, is a wonderful photographic subject. Um, I've, um, I've flown around it dozens and dozens of times for, for this book and for other things. Um, the trying to duplicate the Statue of Liberty shot also required a helicopter uh, because I think the old one was done from a tall ship. Um, How great is that? So I couldn't get a tall ship. Um, so uh, the only thing to do was to get in a helicopter and say, could you be about 30 feet off the water? Um, you know, and that's that's what they did. So that was a lot of fun. Um, Ellis Island is a, a beautiful thing. Um, and that's a lot of fun to shoot as well. Um, and except for the renovations that are occurring and the barges that are now parked there, it looks more or less the same. Um, and, uh, and most of Greenwich Village is the same. So, in fact, I, that's one of the parts of the book that, uh, that is underrepresented, Greenwich Village, because there's almost nothing to shoot. Um, there are very few old photos except the ones that were done for the tax rolls because there was nothing there except for people's homes, um, what I found most remarkable about shooting the book is that the old, beautiful architectural photography was basically done uh, for commercial buildings. Um, they were the 
they were the patrons of architectural photographers of the day, and they were the things that were worth shooting. So except for the odd snapshot that a private party would take of Greenwich Village, there's there would have been no reason to shoot, to have a professional photographer go and shoot buildings in that area. So, um, and, and for that reason, there's almost no reason for me to go down there and do a then and now comparison because it looks basically like it did 100 years ago, which is great. The Flatiron Building was the first tall structure built north of City Hall. What was the history of that building and how much has that neighborhood changed around the Flatiron? Uh, incredibly, that's another spot where the wisdom of our of our city fathers have kept the Flatiron accessible. It's not hemmed in by other buildings. Um, you can see it magnificently from from all over the area. And with the recent renovations of Madison Square Park, the area is really revitalized. And it's just as beautiful and just as lively as it was when it was built. In the old photo, uh, which must be approximately 100 years old, um, you can see horse and, horses and buggies. Uh, that's how people, lots of them. So, um, And in the new photo, uh, there's a bike lane. And in fact, uh, the spot uh, that I had to stand in was in the bike lane. And uh, that happens to me more often than not, that the, the exact location that I feel like I need to be in is just the worst possible place to stand with a camera. But, um, you know, people yell at me and say, hey, buddy, in the bike lane. Uh, I know I'm in the bike lane. I'm standing right here. You're coming right at me. But um, it's worth it to get the shot. The then photo in your book of Grand Central takes us back to 1920. It was a lot grander in 1920 than it is today, huh? It, it was a lot grander. Um, and it was that's another example of a beautiful building that is now really uh, sitting low in a canyon of giant new buildings or newer buildings. So it's very hard to get an appreciation for the grandeur of the exterior of Grand Central Station, except for the statuary in the front, um, which is even it's hard to see anyway, even even today. Um, some of the grandeur is preserved inside Grand Central, and uh, there are two other shots of the interior of um, of Grand Central that I, I really enjoyed doing. One was looking from uh, straight across the Grand Concourse uh, with the information kiosk centered in the in the middle. Um, it was a shot taken around the old one was taken around World War II, and uh, there are ads, giant banners for war bonds. Um, and the whole thing is sort of a patriotic display. Um, today, to, when you line up that shot and take the exact same angle, it's the Apple Store. And that was, I think, a very um, a very contemporary and, and very interesting contrast. Talking about ads and commercialization, the book also includes a great then photo of when we started to see billboards come on the scene in New York City. In Times Square, that must have been, I guess, the '30s. Those those cars from that time have that have that look, and it's a very early color photograph as well. It's one of the few the then photos that's in color in the book. Um, it's it's just as riotous as it is today. There are just as many signs as there are today. Um, it, it's really amazing to think that that's uh, you know that's 80 years ago, um, and and it looks. If you squint at that old photo, it doesn't look like an old photo. It looks like a contemporary photo with some old cars in it. Um, the signs aren't illuminated, but they're just as big. It's just as rowdy. They compete for the same amount of space, um, and it's just as full of people. So it's uh, fun to think that the Times Square, if you're in Times Square today, that it's more or less the way it was um, for 
almost 100 years. Where did you find all of these great old photos of New York City? Um, they are fr- they are readily available at the Library of Congress. Um, more than half the photos uh, in this book come from the Library of Congress. And uh, in fact, while we were working on the book, uh, the city of New York released a treasure trove of old photography um, that's now online and searchable. So if you're an enthusiast of, of old photos of New York, um, there are... Um, there are no end of resources now available. Um, you know, some of some of the photos are more iconic than others. Some still have uh, some amount of copyright protection on them, and, and that those pictures have to be cleared. Um, but um, but a lot of them are in the public domain. They're in the Library of Congress, and they're available from the City of New York. It's um, it's a it's a wonderful time to be a historian of photography. Um, I would love to do a deluxe edition of New York Then and Now. I think that. That would be something I'm going to try to talk the publishers into, a big, big book with more pictures. Um, you know, th- this one has proved to be such a, um, such a success and resonates with so many people that I think it might merit uh, a, a giant collector's edition. Well, the way the city changes, you're going to have to do a fourth edition sometime soon anyhow. Exactly. So um, hopefully it's the gift that will keep on giving. Evan Joseph, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. It was so much fun talking to you today. Evan Joseph is an architectural photographer. The book, New York Then and Now, is published by Thunder Bay Press. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. Remember, you can find previous episodes of Cityscape on our website, wfuv.org slash cityscape. Check out our Facebook and Twitter pages for a slideshow of photos from Evan's book. We're listed on both as WFUV's Cityscape. I'm George Boldarki. My thanks to senior producer, Morlene Chin, and producer, Julie Clark. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.